0: With James. Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And this is another episode of a World of Work podcast. We are in the midst of our series on inclusion and diversity. And today we've got a really, really interesting subject, a a great speaker, a great guest. And and, um, the subject we're focusing on is neurodiversity. And I think it's a fascinating and really important subject. So hopefully it's interesting. Um, We we had a great conversation, I think. Jane, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I I was super surprised. I, I really struggle with faddish terms. And when I first heard, I stupidly misunderstood what it was and felt like it was a bit of a faddish term, neurodiversity. Mm. So I kind of have had this episode in my head going, Oh, I wonder what this is gonna be like. And I loved it because right. it's once you get to the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about, which is finding ways to make sure people can access the workplace on their terms in their way and be productive, happy members of oh, you know, the workforce. I oh, just then I get all excited. It really hits first inclusion it's Epically interesting and comes from a
0: really um, professional, but also personal place on all this. So yeah. yeah, it's a good episode. Yeah, cool. Well, before we get into that, um, usual check-in. Anything you want to check in, check on about? Oh,
1: oh do you know what I want to mention? What's that? I want to mention a little win that we had. Oh, yeah. So uh, not lottery or anything, don't worry. Uh, not that exciting. Uh, but James and I uh, were testing out some content on a webinar. Yeah, okay. And yeah, so we a ran one. a webinar uh, last week, and we had uh, some lovely listeners offer to test our material mm-hmm. and came along and it worked both technically yeah, yeah as in all of the little
0: gadgetry work that we were trying to do
1: but also um i think it was quite a good session i yeah. was quite
0: pleased yeah, yeah. and it was fun as well wasn't it i mean we had a great time doing it i thought it
1: I mean. was and a massive uh, thank you to the attendee who should remain nameless who sent me a little emoji by text afterwards of a animated tiger with a big thumbs up doing a nice. grit. Nice. Uh, so that's a UK, UK breakfast cereal advert yeah, yeah, yeah. reference. Oh, no, good. But yeah. So I really enjoyed that. What about you?
0: Yeah, I, I'll call that out as well. I had a really fun time with that. I, I, we sort of worked hard to pull some content together and structure it. And it was the first time that we've delivered a webinar together. Um, yes. Yes. So did did we
1: pull some, some content together, James, well, or did someone write four times the amount of content that we needed? Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe, maybe there's a little bit more in the in the back pocket than is necessary. If this is the way it normally works. If I do something, is I'll just write far too much about it, and then and we'll then do edit a bit it, of it, and then
1: it has to deal with the fact <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I'm like, well, we can do one quarter of that.
0: I'm like, no, we just speak a lot faster, and then people will just have to keep
1: up, and it'll be all right. Um, uh, it is nice to be able to pick from all of your great content. Yeah, though. it's fun. Oh, we had
0: a great time all right cool well um why don't we get into this conversation and jump over and let uh emma emma walker from autocon introduce herself and we'll go from there sounds great right so here we are we're getting into the uh, core of this conversation part of our series on inclusion and diversity and we're speaking to emma walker um and today we're going to focus on neurodiversity and learn about all things neurodiversity um Just before we get into it, Emma, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about your background and what you do at the moment?
2: Yes, certainly, James. Thank you. Um, I work for an international IT consultancy called Autocon. It operates slightly differently from a normal IT consultancy in that all of our consultants, without exception, are on the autistic spectrum. Right. Um, before I joined Autocon, um, my background was predominantly in HR. I worked in HR in various different sectors and um, also worked in IT consultancy, both as a contractor and as an account manager. Um, at the beginning of this year, I read that Autocon was opening up an office in Edinburgh. Um, mm-hmm. And because of my background, I thought it'd be a great place to apply. But also, I have a very personal interest in autism, as my oldest okay. son is autistic. Um, he, right. he's 24 now and um, he has Asperger's syndrome um, he was diagnosed when he was eight so I've had a lot of first-hand experience of all the difficulties he's encountered over his life but also all the strengths and abilities that he has to offer.
0: That's really great it sounds like you've managed to pull together a lot of things that are really important to you into one role um, it sounds like a great role for you.
2: Yeah for me it's the ideal role it's, it's used all my experience plus um, I'm able to help people like my son Kyle um, who are autistic but in addition to that um, i'm also on the board of trustees for swan which is the scottish mm-hmm. women's autistic network um, i've undertaken a qualification in understanding autism which was predominantly to help my son kyle but also obviously helps me in my current role um, and i'm involved in the autism advisory forum which is part of the government initiative to help make scotland a better place for autistic people
1: to live which is a fantastic initiative
0: yeah, that does sound like a great initiative.
1: That sounds both amazing. And you sound like quite a busy lady, <laughs> if I might say. <laughs> Keeps me out of trouble. Yeah. Yes. Um and it sounds like a, quite a quite a clever way of bringing lots of different aspects of your life together and your passions.
0: Mm. Would you be able to to, you know, maybe explain to the listeners of the audience a little bit more about what autism is and what neurodiversity is?
2: Um Neurodiversity, and most people are familiar with the term diversity, which is basically understanding Mm -hmm. that each person is unique and recognising everybody's individual differences. So neurodiversity is basically recognising that people's brains function differently. So people learn and process information differently. Okay. Um, Autism... um, I guess that's a spectrum condition and it affects lots of people um, very differently and some people more than others. So although people share um, some differences and difficulties, um, it does affect them all in different ways. There's a a wide variation in the type and severity of symptoms.
0: Okay. And when we talk about a spectrum disorder, do we just mean it's, it's wide ranging? What does that sort of spectrum really mean when we talk about something like this?
2: I think it means that um, people are affected differently. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess some people are more severe than others. Uh, Okay. um, But the term neurodiversity, that covers autism, and that's more of an umbrella term. Um, It covers autism, which people are quite familiar with, but also covers um, conditions such as ADD and ADHD, dyslexia and dyspraxia. So that um, is an umbrella term that covers all these conditions. Okay.
0: And when we're talking about, you know, things like autism and neurodiversity and, and um, you know, it's it sort of uh place in, in popular conversation, um, it doesn't feel like it's discussed as much as some of the other diversity area, areas that we look at. Have you got a sense of how common neurodiversity is or, or you know, um, how prevalent things like autism are in, in the UK or more broadly?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of figures banded about. Um, figures I've got here um, from 2011 quote that 1.1% of the UK population um, has autism and that equates to 700,000 people which is quite substantial. Um, and, That's a lot. Yeah. Um, a new report from 2014 actually increased that figure to 1.7%. But I mean, as I said earlier, I mean, that's just the figures for autism. Neurodiversity covers different conditions. So it's estimated that one in seven people, which is more than 15% of the population in the UK, are neurodivergent.
1: Wow, that is... Uh, when when you stop and think about it that's extraordinary given how little it's really talked about it yeah. it is
2: because the figures for people with autism and employment and um, it's only 16 percent of people with autism are actually in full-time employment so that is a figure wow. that um myself and Oticon we're trying to change that um because people that's, with autism that's
1: pretty scary
2: it is right? yeah because we have so much to offer so many great skills and abilities and i just feel they're very much overlooked at the moment so that's something we're I mean... hoping to change
1: and if you're a teenager coming out of uh, education with autism, straight away you're feeling like you're swimming against the tide, knowing that, you know, your chances are lesser than other people's.
2: Yeah, so I think they're lesser because of the, the way the recruitment um, and lots of companies are set up. I mean, they have the skills and abilities to do the jobs, but they can't get through an interview process.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's it actually like walking, uh, working at Autocon? What do you guys do on the sort of day-to-day? What's your um, approach to, to improving the chances of autistic people to get jobs?
2: Um, what we do is we employ um, people on a permanent basis and we place them into organisations that match the skills, just like a regular IT consultancy. But what we do that's mm-hmm. very, very different is we provide support both to the consultant and also the client that we place them in. So we're very careful to match the skills exactly because the last thing we want to do is put somebody into a role that doesn't match their skills because they've had such a hard time prior to that with lockbacks and things not working we want it to be a really positive experience for both the consultant and the client so before the consultant goes into an organisation we'll go and chat to the the client and just find out what what the environment's like in terms of the physical environment as well as the communications environment Um, and we'll suggest some adjustments if required. We also go in and speak to the team that the consultant will be joining and we provide general uh, training about autism because not everybody has a full understanding about that. And we also provide specific training about the consultant that will be joining their team, which is really important. So the consultant feels at ease when they start. So for example, I had a consultant starting a few weeks ago um, and he doesn't like shaking hands. So it's really important that the team knew that prior to him starting, because if he he rocked up on day one and everybody goes to shake his hands, that would really set him back. So it's important that these things course, are covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a real uh, sense of fine tuning the environment for your consultants and for the organisations sort of being made aware what's going to make it much smoother as a transition into employment with them. Exactly.
2: And sometimes it's just very small things that make a huge difference to the person. But things like finding the right desk. Um, a lot of our consultants don't like people walking behind them. So it's finding a desk where they've got a back to the wall. And also lighting. Um, either they like a lot of light or they don't like a lot of light. So finding a desk near a window or in a, in a corner. And just whatever works for them and just making sure that that's covered.
0: It sounds like it's really kind of about finding the individual needs of, of a person that you're placing and trying to help an organisation um, adapt to and, and respect the needs of them. Does that seem fair? Yes,
2: most definitely. Because as I say, it's only very small changes a lot of the time. Um, so I think some companies are quite worried prior to the consultant starting. that think they're going to have to make, spend a lot of money and make all these major changes. But when it actually comes down to it, it's very minor changes. But they do make the world of difference to the consultants.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, communication styles and approach. How, how do you um, advise people to change their communication styles?
2: Um, It's looking to see how the team actually communicates. Do they have face-to-face meetings? Do they do a lot on email? Do they do um, Zoom call meetings? Um, what's their normal style of communication? And then we speak to a consultant to see what, what would work for them. Because Quite a lot of our consultants, they don't feel confident standing up in a group setting and speaking. They would rather put their thoughts and their, their um, whatever they're doing in their project, put it down in an email and have somebody else um, speak about that at the meeting. So it's making sure they feel comfortable, um, although part of the team. So they're still, still contributing to the project, but they don't necessarily have to stand up and speak in front of everybody.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, sorry, go on. It
1: sounds it just it's really interesting. It makes me think a lot. So it, about this idea that, and we've had this conversation before in this series about different types of diversity and how quite often the, the fine tuning, the tweaking, the being more sensitive to other people's needs um, has positive impacts on the whole team. Is that something that you you hear from your uh, from your clients? Exactly. I
2: mean, the advice we often give to our clients is be very clear in communication. Um, make sure um, it's like maybe done in bullet points and um, follow it up in writing and as you say that um, helps the whole team not just the individual we've placed in there so I think it's very very beneficial it also makes managers think about their communication which sometimes they, they haven't had time to sort of take back and look and uh, look at
0: I was just thinking about that when you said that. It feels like there's probably a really good exercise for all managers to go through and <laughs> stepping back and figuring out what they do, what they need people to do, how to communicate. It feels like it's a kind of a universal benefit.
2: Exactly, exactly.
0: Um, you talked uh, earlier, a couple minutes ago, about some of the great skills that people with autism or other neuro- neurodiverse traits bring. Could you say a little bit more about this? What are the, the skills that people have? Yeah, are
2: definitely. Um, some of the positive attributes commonly associated um, with this group include creativity, um, lateral thinking, and um, basically bringing a different perspective to things. Um, a lot of people who are autistic have exceptional cognitive abilities. So, that's things like pattern recognition, error detection, sustained
0: concentration,
2: attention to detail, and um, logical analysis. Um, all of these are huge assets in any workplace.
0: Do, do you find that you tend to place your um, your consultants into the same types of organisation or do you place them into a wide range? And what types of roles do, you, do your guys pre- predominantly go into? OK,
2: well, we're an IT consultancy. Um, so most organisations have an IT department. Um at the moment, in Edinburgh, we're just starting out in Edinburgh, so most of our consultants are in financial services. But that's not to say that's the mm-hmm. only area that we're looking in. Um, Autocon's mission is to provide rewarding employment for people on the autistic spectrum. So I will look at anywhere that has a suitable role that matches the skills of our consultants. Uh, yeah, that sounds Yeah, good. the sort of roles um, they go into is like software development, data analysis, all sort of general IT roles that you can think
1: of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, you, you were mentioning just when we were chatting earlier about um, the attention to detail that can sometimes come as well with some people with autism. And uh, it just made me remember a, a situation where, as uh, as you know, Emma, I work in yes. sport, and we were training young, uh, some young volunteers to officials, and we trained a group of young people from a, a special educational needs school, and it was a group of young people all with autism. Um, in very in its varying forms, and uh, and I don't think I've ever been more rigorously examined <laughs> prior to the role yeah. in order to bottom out all of the questions and all of the what ifs, what ifs, what mm-hmm. ifs. But I also don't know that I've ever had a more uh, easy session of sports because they were so. Pretty much all of them actually were so meticulous in taking notes, in being really clear and asking clarifying questions with me all the time about what happens if, what happens yeah. if, you know, what happens if the ball goes out of play? What happens if it lands on this line, that line, et cetera, That that actually what I found extraordinary was their ability to maintain concentration, follow attention to detail, have taken on what I had explained to them. And, uh, yeah, they, I think they came back the following year as well, actually, Didn't in it? the end. Yeah, they loved it. They were that brilliant. Like great, they were a really good great. bunch as well. They were just nice kids. Yeah.
0: Above everything else.
1: Yeah, but yeah. I so, but No, so no, on
0: you go. I was just going to that sounds like um, you, when you worked with uh, children with autism in the sports place, had a, had a pretty good um, sort of outcome and experience. Uh, from your experience, Emma, what do the people that you place say about their experience? And, and what do the organizations and the hiring managers say you know, well?
2: Funny you should say that, I had that exact conversation with one of my clients yesterday. Um, I was doing okay. a follow-up, um, just finding out um, about the consultant I had placed. He's been in that department for, um, must be six or seven weeks now. Um, and the feedback right. was amazing. When he first went in, obviously a little bit nervous, um, very quiet and um, not really interacting with the team six seven weeks later the feedback was he's just like one of the team i don't understand what all of fuss really? is about oh, yeah. that's lovely
0: that's fantastic <laughs> feedback to get isn't oh it? emma
1: oh i love <laughs> yeah. that it's uh we're all I, it makes me it just makes me reminds me why so much of this is based on people's fear of getting it wrong or saying yeah. something wrong or yeah, offending someone yeah. right as soon as as soon as you get through that first period everything's like oh yeah Oh, yeah. Oh, what was the first? Oh, like it wasn't me anyway. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But e-
2: the even nicer thing is, I spoke to the consultant um, later that day and his feedback was he absolutely loves where he works. He said, can I stay oh, here forever?
0: Oh, yeah. that's great. That's oh, great. that's
1: lovely. It's <laughs> a
0: real win. Yeah. Thing.
2: Oh, you've got a lovely job. It's very rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it's great to see yeah. people flourish because they have had so many knockbacks and they feel I mean their self-confidence has been knocked down again and again and again because they just don't get through interview processes. So to find a job that yeah. suits the skills they have and see them flourish in that job is just amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the frust- I think that's really interesting you mentioned interview processes because the frustration with that is that we know all the research tells us that situational judgment testing and cognitive ability testing is far more accurate in producing in predicting uh, job performance than unstructured interviews um, and it 's even a little bit more uh, predictable than semi structured interviews so it 's frustrating when you see these sort of non deliberate exclusive interview processes simply because we as managers, and I include myself in this, struggle with the idea of trusting the data over our own gut. Yeah.
0: yeah, I think that's interesting. I think we we should definitely come back in a minute to talk about the recruitment process and things like that. Just in the meantime, just finishing up on that conversation you had with your hiring managers, how do they feel at the the start of your process? Do do they tend to feel... Sort of uncertain and, and nervous about taking on somebody from um, from autism, or how does that pressure?
2: I think goes? they do, and I think that's where our training is really really useful because lots of them, I mean, they've heard the term autism banded about, but they all have different ideas that what that means. Um, and I think we spoke about the subgen of fear before. But I think when we provide the training. Um, it gives a sort of general understanding about what is, autism is, but then the specific training about mm-hmm. consultant, I think it's really, really helpful. So they they know a bit about the person coming in, and um, before the before they start, and I think that's really, really helpful.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you do the general training, have you got you know the, the high level uh, summary of, of the types of things you cover at, at that um, overall training?
2: It's just. Um, Everything people want to know about autism. It's quite quite an informal session when we answer questions because every team's different. They all start from a different um, amount of knowledge about it. So we tend to sort of take the lead from the the client about how much they want to know. So so at the end sure. of it, hopefully we've answered all the questions.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You, you know, um, I was actually this reminded me when I was working in my last proper job, which was in financial services. Like many people around here. Um, we had a program where we'd bring in uh, a variety of people as part of our inclusion and diversity process. And I worked with um, a placement agency to bring in you know, a wide range of people. And what we do is we bring people in for two to two weeks, maybe four weeks, maybe six weeks as a sort of a trial in the workplace type period. And if things worked out, they'd be able to stay on and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we brought in people with uh, autism, as well as people with a range of physical disabilities and, and a whole range of of people from that sort of, um, that sort of side of, of um, the world. And what I found was that when I was working with hiring managers, there was a lot more nervousness about autism than there was about physical disabilities. And, and, and I wonder, have you got any thoughts on why that might be?
2: I think it's maybe... Um, fear of the unknown, really. They don't know what to expect. Um, Everybody who's got autism is very, very different. There's not one, you can't say somebody's autistic, so they're going to be like this, that, and the next thing. Um, All all the behaviours are very, very different. That's possibly where the fear comes from.
3: Yeah.
1: So it's quite difficult to transfer your experience of maybe, so maybe you've even met one or two people in the past with autism, but you're going to really struggle to transfer your experience with them to another autistic person for example yeah, I, mean, I think
2: there's a saying that people have probably heard of when you've met one autistic person you've met one autistic person it's just like the general population that's a great phrase <laughs> everybody <laughs> is very uh, unique and they all have their own um, traits and behaviours so, which is great
1: yeah yeah
0: I like that <laughs> yeah really really good um I was chatting to Jane the other day and she was saying that in one of the organisations she knew somebody in that it, when they were looking at um, approaching this type of thing they took a sort of organisation-wide approach.
1: Yeah, um, I think you might be talking about the fact that I was talking about Channel 4 the other day oh, maybe, who yeah. are a British broadcasting organisation um, and they won the rights to host the Paralympics Corps a long time ago now, seven years ago in London. And at that point they made a real decision and a commitment to Bring that spirit into their organisation, and the way they did that to start with was they um, they ran a scheme, and they decided that they were going to um, take I think it was it was ten, but it could have been way more. Um, it was definitely double figures. Uh, t- they were going to identify and train up a number of disabled people in the roles that was going to produce the coverage and take them right. to the championships, um, and then ultimately, I know they took some to Rio four years in, in twenty sixteen. And they, it, it kind of, it kind of changed their whole approach as an organization. And I was listening to one of the guys talk about it. And they're they're very inclu- they're very passionate about inclusion generally. Mm-hmm. But um, I think they always recognised that this was a specifically, it's particularly given the physical nature of some of the roles around presenting and around um, uh, cinematography and shooting cameras and stuff like that. And uh, I, it, they just went on a journey, and he talked about it, and he was like, you know, none of us quite knew where it was going to go, but we made a decision. This is where we wanted to be in the future, and we just decided we would we would figure out how to get there. And I think um, I think we could do a lot more of that around inclusion and diversity generally. Actually, I think I think being brave and saying, look, we don't know how we're going to get here right now, and we're not the experts, and we don't understand it, but we'd like to be better than we are. Fantastic. Um, I think is. I think is a really good thing, which it kind of sounds like a lot of the guys that you, uh, guys, sorry, guys is a a drop. But a lot of the organizations that you guys place um, consultants with maybe have an ambition to be a little bit better than they are and see Autocon as a great stepping stone to help them achieve that rather than taking all the sort of uh managing the whole process themselves. exactly
2: and we hope that it's, it's as you say a good stepping stone i mean it's a good way to a good introduction to having autistic people as part of their team and it's, it takes the risk and the fear away so our hope is that if we place consultants into existing teams and they perform well and that the client's really happy that that'll give them the confidence to then hire their own autistic people um, and then make their company more neurodiverse friendly
1: it's like we were talking earlier, wasn't it? It's just, um, it's like holding their hand a little bit. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. We've got the support for the consultants because um, we meet our consultants weekly um, and quite often more than that if they're encountering a few difficulties. But we also meet with the client and we're there to support the client as much as yeah. the consultants mm-hmm. and try and mediate if any issues do occur.
3: Yeah. And... But- Sorry,
2: go on. Honestly, what what we are trying to do, we, obviously we, we place our consultants in organisations, but we're trying to change organisations to become Great. more neurodiverse friendly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's not just looking at placing the consultants in that one area, but it's looking at changing the whole ethos of the of the right. company and looking at how they recruit. Yeah. their interview processes, the whole recruitment process. Yeah. How can they change that to attract more neurodiversity? Lovely.
0: Okay. And what would you say is part of a solution to that? It, just, actually, just before you answer that, we've got. We're recording a session tomorrow with um, a tech company that focus on um, diversity and recruitment through technology. So that's interesting. And I've
1: yeah, yeah, I've just finished a course on uh, the the neg not negative, but the challenges selection assessment face in accidentally discriminating all over the shop Mm. Um, and it's 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 massive it's like i had no idea and the blinkers came off and i was like like, wow "Wow, (laughs) that's that's a problem and we have to figure it out Yeah. yeah yeah so so what are what are some of the things
2: you're learning along the way I think it goes right back to the sort of fundamentals of recruitment. If you have a look at the role description yep. and the adverts, um, quite often there's some genetic p- things thrown in there. Things like good communication skills, fantastic of team course. player. I mean, yes, they're relevant for some roles, but not relevant for a lot of yeah. roles that our people yeah, apply yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. So somebody who's autistic, they're very black and white thinking, so they'll look down the list of requirements for that role and say, oh, team player, oh, maybe not me, yeah. good communication skills definitely not me. Whereas 90% of the role, they have fantastic skills and they'd be amazing at it, but they discount themselves because they don't tick every box. Mm -hmm. Whereas a neurotypical person will say, well, I tick maybe 50% of them, Mm -hmm. I'll apply.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I read some interesting stuff when we were looking at diversity in recruitment. um, And... I'm not sure exactly how much I believe it, but it was something that was was said, which was that there's actually a gender divide on that as well. So a lot of men will look at them and say, well, I can do 20%, I'll (laughs) give it a go. And a lot of women will say, well, I can't do 50%, so I won't give it a go. And then I guess it's just that same sort of scaling when you get into the neurodiverse um, universe as well.
2: Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, if you actually manage to get neurodiverse people to apply, you've then got the whole interview process, Uh which doesn't lend itself to uh, neurodiverse people. Yeah. um a one-to-one sort of face-to-face interview I and mean, a mm-hmm. lot of them don't make eye contact they're, yeah they're out well out of the comfort zone so they'll be looking at the ground they'll give one word answers so yeah. basically they're not sh- um, showing the skills that they have
0: Hmm. so how do you overcome that what, what would you suggest people do to to help in that I, I
2: think well at Oticon we don't do interviews we right. do skills assessments yeah because uh, okay. it's the skills we're interested in mm-hmm. so we'll um look at the role and um look For example, somebody who's recruiting for a software developer, you don't need to have good communication skills and team player for that. You basically, you can sit in a room and do that. Um, Yes, you need to interact with some people, but the key skills are very, very different. So we we, we would do a test for Python skills or C+, whatever um, programming language. And of course,
1: the research backs you up across the board, not just within neurodiversity. So the research shows that general cognitive testing and situational judgment testing which is the mm-hmm. job specific stuff that yeah. a lot of people do um is a f- is as good a predictor if not better than semi-skilled uh semi-structured interviews mm-hmm. and certainly way better than unstructured interviews yeah. Yeah. and yet we cling on to this concept that we will sit in an interview and be able to judge you yes based in, on what you tell us which in is an
0: hour right
1: it's amazing like yep. i used to work in the events sports events and you know, the skills that you need in, in a, a high stress situation with three and a half thousand people on site absolutely may not come across <laughs> yeah. in a one hour <laughs> informal tell me about your background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and actually some of the high uh, employed people who are, let's just refer to them as uh, probably perceptionally to other people as a little grumpy, mm-hmm. <laughs> were exceptional under stress, absolutely exceptional under difficult, stressful situations. Mm-hmm. and yet. And we always used to do SJT, Situational Judgment Testing. So yeah. in this situation, what would you do?
3: Yeah.
1: And it would, they, they would score really high on that. And then someone would interview them. They'd be like, well, I don't know. They don't, they're not, you know, I don't know if they'll fit in. I don't and I'd want be like, them or whatever. I'd be like, like, okay, I'd kind of like to meet them.
3: Yeah. And
1: then you'd meet them and you'd be like, well, I get what you're saying. But yeah. I think in this scenario, they could be brilliant. And yeah. I think thinking that, that having HR and, and recruitment think a little bit broader mm-hmm. about the, the, the way that they're... yeah judging people quite literally
0: mm-hmm. so, so that's kind of a, the sort of advertisement you know the job um, the first stage of recruitment then the interview stage of recruitment are there other sort of process aspects of the workplace that you think people should look to change to, to be more inclusive
2: yes i think when the person's actually employed in the workplace there's um, quite a few changes that can benefit not just the neurodiverse person but the whole team yes it's looking at how do you communicate is right it, is it clear and concise or is it a lot of sort of gray areas is it People might sort of read uh, communication in different ways, so it's making sort of clear bullet points about what's required in a role, what's mm-hmm. required in the team, and also change. I mean, that can be quite stressful for somebody yeah. who's um, neurodiverse. Um, don't string things upon them. And yeah. That can help a lot of people, help the whole team. If you know a change is not coming, let people know in advance. Let them have time to process that change. How is it going to affect them? Yeah. Let them think it through.
0: That whole piece around transparency is so difficult, having worked in change for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen the, the sort of silos of people who know change is coming, they know the details, and then they communicate them at the last minute because they don't want it to leak, and, and people are so worried about saying the wrong thing that they lose the transparency that helps people along the journey. I mean, I think if yeah. we could change that, it would be great, again, for everybody. I don't think this is just for a yeah, yeah. neurodiverse population. Exactly. And, and <laughs> I
1: think, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of... My, my experience changes having led change processes is if you can be really clear that there is a change coming and what sectors of the organization or even what sort of themes is mm-hmm. going to affect so it's not going to affect jobs but it will affect what we do or yeah. it might affect our client list or it will affect jobs yeah people are uh, getting incredibly frustrated about not knowing but if you keep repeating that and saying and we don't know the rest at yeah. least people can start to prep emotionally yes. and I think that's massive and I feel on yeah. the
0: same side and you know the, the change leaders I've worked with are always so scared of getting it wrong mm-hmm. they're scared yeah. of saying something and then needing to change it yeah. um, so I think you know everyone needs to change I think the leaders need to be more willing to get stuff wrong and say well we said we were going to do this now it's going to be a little bit different mm-hmm. but at the same time for people more broadly in an organisation need to be able to say well they're, they're communicating in best endeavours it might not be perfect so I think there's a little bit on both does yeah. that yeah. make sense
2: yeah you almost definitely
0: and I but it's all it all all of that comes down, I
1: think, not just to be reductive, but there's a level of trust, right? Absolutely. There's a level of I've got to believe you're gonna back the organisation as an employee, mm-hmm. and as an employee, I've got to believe you as a manager or a leader are doing your best to make this okay for us. Yes. And I think if that's there, it's much easier. And and in terms of a diversity point of view, it's the same thing, right? If you believe your manager is pulling for all of you equally and mm-hmm. will make the adjustments. Mm-hmm. You're much more likely to be able to disclose when you aren't feeling right, or if you don't feel included, or if something's not working for yeah, you. It exactly. links
0: very closely to the inclusion side, doesn't it? You know, you're accepting of everyone, whatever they're doing in that situation. I would say
2: exactly. Yes, all supporting each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, which is good. Um, so, so we've got the sort of HR process, we've got the communication process in there, and and that helps within organisations. What do you think? Maybe slightly more broadly at a societal level, is there anything? at a societal level we can do, individuals can do to be more inclusive or, or changing?
2: I think ha- having a general awareness about what neurodiversity is. Mm-hmm. So if you meet somebody in the streets and they're not making eye contact when you speak to them, they're sort of fiddling, they feel really uneasy,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you don't think they're rude or standoffish. You have a more general understanding, oh, they, they may, might be autistic. Yeah. Um, and just understanding why certain behaviours are mm-hmm. there The same with the sort of sensory issues like smell and touch. Why don't they shake hands? Why do they sort of stand away from you? Um, So just a general awareness in society, I think, would be really beneficial to everybody.
1: And I think that's a that's a in some ways a real challenge, right? Because society is to some extent built on social norms, Mm -hmm. and you can still have those and if you just always give people the benefit of the doubt that there might be another reason mm-hmm. you're probably going to be happier yourself right yeah. if you just assume if something deviates from the social norm it's it maybe is caused by something different that you don't know about or something mm-hmm. that you're not privy to as information it's probably better just to that that, that would make me feel better yeah. about the world rather than being frustrated that someone i think is in my book being rude based on preconceptions of what I think Mm -hmm. politeness is taught probably from my mother in the
0: 80s probably yeah and that's kind of the inclusive thing one of the things I've seen a few times um, is you know instead of clapping doing sort of like the the hand waving instead and things like that or instead of um, shouting for rooms to to be quiet raising hands So, so some of these other gestural type interactions in group environments, I think, are, are supportive as well.
2: Yeah, because noise um, and sound levels are quite often quite overwhelming for people in the spectrum. spectrum. Yeah. I mean, one of the companies I've been speaking to, they're building a new office and they've been thinking about neurodiversity when they're building their office. Great. And it was quite interesting speaking to them because a lot of the changes you can't make because everybody's so different. So what changes you make for one person might not suit another person yeah. be the complete but, opposite of what yeah. someone else yeah. needs yeah yeah but what they have done is in the bathrooms they've taken out all the hand dryers Great. yeah because yeah. of the yeah. noise level yeah which is something i hadn't thought about so yeah. they put it back paper towels back in yeah you and know. i know
0: that's a common one that you hear a lot about hand yeah. drivers being painful yeah almost too much i see no. i've never heard that and that's yeah. fascinating yeah. and a, a lot of children actually struggle with hand drivers yeah whether they're neurodiverse mm-hmm. or not it's I think, well, I think they're irritating <laughs> I, would, I would never
1: ever use a hand dryer just because it's noise but it's not because I'm particularly sensitive to it so it makes now you say it obvious yeah, sense yeah, that if you're yeah. more sensitive to noise it's going to push you to an extra
0: mm. wow is there anything else in that sort of built environment structure of offices that you think is um, particularly relevant
2: I think having lots of different spaces. Sure. If somebody encounters a situation that makes them feel a bit stressed, a bit overwhelmed, having somewhere they can take themselves away to that's a quiet area where they can process their thoughts and then recoup and then go back to the work environment. Yeah,
0: okay.
2: That's
1: That's really important. That works well for a lot of our consultants. Yeah. And I would imagine actually would work well for a lot of people in high-stress work environments as well, generally, because, you know... Uh, certainly when I quit smoking years ago, like that's what I used to use smoking for It wasn't because I wanted a cigarette it was because I wanted to remove myself from the working environment and go for a walk yeah, <laughs> and, right? and actually break, yeah. I think I think that's a that's one that you'd be both being inclusive and also probably doing the rest of your employees a favor as well exactly
0: mm. yes so. When, when people in organisations have a bit of fear about the unknown, about neurodiversity and things like that, one of the things that comes up is for piece around language and, and how do you speak and what language do you use and what's acceptable. Have you got thoughts on language that's appropriate in relation to neurodiversity? or
2: um, In terms of for the neurodiverse person?
0: Or just the, the types of language that people would use. So I know that people um, maybe in the race space. Some people don't know. Is it okay to say... Black or is it okay to Dog. say gay, or what type of language is acceptable and and non um not inappropriate?
2: I think people have different views on that mm-hmm. and, um, I think neurodiverse and neurotypical works for a lot of people. I think um, people are beginning to understand that mm-hmm. um, but and years ago you'd say some things like somebody's a bit quirky mm-hmm. right. and it, um, so I think things have definitely moved on from there
1: <laughs> yeah, I always think um. One of the most helpful things is to try and listen for the terms people use, and then use them back to them. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, anyway, I always feel a bit safer if if I'm saying something they've said to me about Mm -hmm. themselves. Obviously, not pejorative, but if they say, "Oh, well, this is my this is why I'm a bit different," or "This is why you might notice things," I'm like, "Oh, that word! I'm using that word!" (laughs) That's the word you go. And then the other thing that um, I've got a very bolshy friend of mine who's lovely who uh, has cerebral palsy, and so she's like much more. She just says to me, "Just ask." and I'm like oh okay yeah. <laughs> not sure about that but she, her, her attitude is always like if you can it, uh, not for an everyday person that maybe you're not going to have any interaction with but if you're going to work alongside someone at some mm-hmm. point when you're building that relationship say to them you know I always say this is that okay
3: yeah. and, exactly. and I just yes. think
1: framing it always around the individual and yeah. what's okay for them uh-huh. seems to make so much sense but it's scary right it's a scary thing to
2: ask mm. yeah because people are scared of getting it wrong scared of offending the person yeah
3: or is... making them uncomfortable yeah. in yeah, some yeah. way
2: mm-hmm.
0: Which, of course, makes them uncomfortable asking the question as well. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I know, that's very
1: British, isn't it? I'm going to make us all uncomfortable in silence because I'm not going yep, to yep. ask and what I should Five years down saying. the line, we might address it. That feels very British.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a question. So when you're placing consultants and so on, are, 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 do you see anything like salary discrimination in this place or, or in this space? Or do you think that
2: no, um, we recognise that our consultants have amazing skills that will benefit organisations. So we um, place them in organisations at the same day rate that a, a normal oh, IT consultancy would place them. Yeah, that's really so, good to know. I yeah. was just
0: curious as to whether or not there was any variety in
2: that. No. And we think um, our clients get value for money because yeah, sure. um, our consultants typically outperform a neurotypical person, mm-hmm. and that's the feedback we've had from our consultants in London. Because London offices have been established since 2016, so we've mm-hmm. had three years of feedback from mm-hmm. down there, and mm-hmm. it's all been very, very positive. In fact, one company said that our consultants were working three times faster than their new... Three elite. times Three fast. times faster. Oh, don't yeah. tell people that they no. <laughs> start <stuck laughs> getting nervous about bringing them in and getting prepared. <laughs> I know, I know. That's a lot, right? That's a lot faster. That is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I
1: also, I, I can imagine that if you felt left out of the workplace and you feel like you've all got all this to offer, yeah. and then suddenly you find a place that is prepared to make some tweaks so that you can do it, you would fly, right? Yeah, 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 I
2: mean, that's what I love about my job. It's life-changing for our consultants. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so many of them have been unemployed for numerous years and they've gone through interview process after interview yeah. process, have been knocked back and knocked back, which really dents their self-confidence. So each time they go, it's harder.
0: Of course, yeah. Yeah,
2: so all we do is provide that little bit of support and they flourish. And yeah. It's just so wonderful to see them doing well in organisations because they have the skills. Yeah. They've just been overlooked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And does Oticon work uh, in multiple countries? Where, whereabouts do you work?
2: Yeah, it started in Berlin in 2011. Right. Okay. And it was started by a father who had an autistic son. Mm-hmm. He was finding it incredibly hard to find employment, but he had a really keen interest in IT. Yeah. So his father established Oticon. So since 2011, we now have five offices in Germany. Right. We've got offices in Switzerland, Italy, uh, France. Canada, America and as said the London office opened in 2016 and the Edinburgh office opened in March this year.
0: Yeah that's exciting right? That's an exciting journey.
1: Yeah we it's really funny when we record these we always try not to be too like biased or promotory, but I just think this is so brilliant. Yeah I would like to stop it (laughs) this is brilliant we should all be doing this all the time. Yeah Yeah. Um, and actually I think I think there's something really clever about the model of employing them as consultants and then working with partner placement organizations yeah. i think i think it's a very new it's far cleverer and more nuanced than initially you think because actually what you're doing is you're taking away some of the fear and the risk from the employee exactly yeah but at the yeah. same time you're also being able to control that selection process mm-hmm. which i just think is really clever yeah, right it's, supportive, it's just a, it's it's a it de-risking itself and and then also you get to use language like consultant mm-hmm. which yeah. feels very leveling It It feels like you are saying, you know, these are our consultants, and those are those, and there might be some differences, but they're all still consultants. Exactly. Really, I really like that approach, and I can imagine it coming out of a frustrated parent. Like you can imagine (laughs) sitting there going, well, this is ridiculous. We'll just set up a company and employ the person and then we'll go and place them and everyone's happy.
0: Somebody who can see the real value that that people can add and just see the the barriers that are in the way. Yeah. And
1: it makes me wonder how much it would work in other scenarios, like when we see things like uh, maternity discrimination and stuff like that around Mm -hmm. pregnant women. Mm -hmm. And how do you how do you manipulate the model of business? Yeah. To kind of make it palatable and easy for people to give it a go. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: I think what we're doing is taking the risk away from the yeah um, and the fear, and the fear as well. But our hope is, I mean, if they take on one of our consultants and they see how successful that is, the benefits that person has brought to the team, then that will then permeate th- throughout the whole organisation, and they'll feel that they can possibly bring more neurodiverse people into the organisation.
1: Well, and have. also they get a reputation, right? So yeah. suddenly they're, they're an organisation that is better able to cope and offer a positive work experience. Yeah. And suddenly then they might get more applicants yeah, um, exactly. that they're then prepared to handle. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole thing you you can see would snowball exactly. in the right place. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, that virtuous virtuous cycle.
1: And I guess the the one question that I would have that's not negative, but more sort of thoughtful of where there might be work is... Have you seen it where it hasn't worked so well in a placement? And if so, what are the sorts of things where organizations get it wrong or maybe don't make the most of it?
2: If there was a situation where we didn't think it was working, we are the first people to pull our consultant out. Because okay. we believe our consultants have had a hard time in life. A lot of them have had so many knockbacks.
0: Of course, yeah. Yeah,
2: such a roller coaster ride that we want it to be a positive experience for both the consultant and the client. Mm. So if anything isn't working, we'll immediately pull the consultant out. So we'll explain to the clients that this person maybe isn't the best person for this reason, that reason. And if we think it's... Um, due to the skills or something to do with that consultant, we'll maybe place a different consultant okay. in. Or if we feel the organisation isn't quite ready for a neurodiverse person, we'll maybe not place anybody there. But we want it to be positive for both the consultant and the client. Yeah. Okay. That's
0: fascinating. Hmm. Sort of swerving tack a little bit back to one of the earlier conversations that we had about, I guess, sort of the prevalence of neurodiversity and sort of why it exists and, and things like that. Different people have got really different views about what neurodiversity is and, and the benefits that it brings. And some people do talk about it as being sort of a, a societal advantage or a cultural advantage. Mm-hmm. Have you got thoughts on benefits of having sort of neurotypical and neurodiverse individuals at a sort of uh, yeah. race level, if that makes sense, or a species yeah. level?
2: I've got a great quote for you, actually. Have you? Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's by an American journalist, Harvey Bloom, in 1998. And he wrote that neurodiversity may be every bit as crucial for the human race as biodiversity is for life in general. Who can say what form of wiring is, will be best in any given moment? So I absolutely love that. And it's basically saying the world needs diversity, uh, diversity of thought, and neurodiverse people can bring a different way of thinking, a different yeah. perspective to many different situations, which is required. If yeah. everybody thought the same way, you would get the same solutions to any problem that came up.
0: Yeah it's kind of like saying as a species we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket yeah. is that basically what it is yeah
2: exactly
1: which mm-hmm. we, we I would like to think we'd learn in a lot of spectrums and a lot of spheres and yet you know when you think about it we really haven't learned this one yeah, yet we
0: still have that tendency to go for which it which is
1: bonkers when we know how powerful the brain is and how yeah. how central it is to our emotions and our personality mm-hmm. and our feelings and yet we're still mm-hmm. saying maybe not deliberately but we're still saying oh but anyone who's not wired the way we're expecting you to be we might have some problems including the yeah. Crazy.
0: Just, just on this, it reminded me of something I was reading about sleep the other day and, and there really are morning people and night people um, and apparently the reason that's come about is that when you're living in communities and at risk of danger, it minimises the time when everybody's asleep. So where you have oh, that variety. Yeah. So the people who stay up late would naturally go to bed at maybe one in the morning and the early risers would naturally shift wake watching. up. Shift watching. Basically, <laughs> right? evolutionary shift watching so so humans who's up as the a, tower keeping an eye out exactly so you've only got that three or four hour gap where nobody wants to be awake and that takes out the risk at a, at a sort of societal level I've yeah, no it's me kind of neither and I'm
1: now staring sorry <laughs> <laughs> I always forget we're on a podcast and therefore no one can see me but I'm staring at James with my mouth open going maybe this explains so much yeah yeah. yeah. but yeah. I'm, I'm
0: guessing there's something similar with the neurodiversity as yeah. well as you know evolution is, is helpful in so many ways and we don't know where the benefits well if, if
1: you think about it really simplistically If everyone in a room thinks in a certain way, whether it's cultural, whether Mm -hmm. it's about your neurodiversity or whether you're neurotypical, whether it's about your experience of race, faith, whatever it is, if you haven't got different viewpoints in that room, Mm -hmm. you're only going to connect the dots in the same way all the time. And if you only connect... I mean, even Einstein said, you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different thing. You're (laughs) going to get get it wrong. So that idea of bringing that rich difference into a room and go, can you connect these dots differently? Mm -hmm. And I think there's so many different experiences and biologies that help people do that yeah. it kind of seems really obvious but it's hard
0: yeah I yeah think. and so many people feel sort of threatened by difference intrinsically because i, I think that maybe people see something different and, and that's a challenge to their sense of what's right because they think that what they are is right normally so <laughs> have you either of you got any thoughts on how you can help people more generally value diversity in all walks of life and any thoughts on how people can overcome some of that fear of things not uh, that's a big question yeah it's a big question uh, right? I would say <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it is a, a big question um, I
1: think there's it's really interesting that you say that it's because people think they're right because I don't necessarily agree or subscribe okay. I think it's the reverse I think people are scared of finding out they're wrong sure. yes. or that okay. in some way that someone being different is saying they're wrong yes. because mm-hmm. that person's right and I think that comes down to um, and I don't know whether it's societal I don't know whether it's our education system in the west but we are very binary if you look at our media, if you look at everything that we're exposed to, there's a right and a wrong.
3: Mm-hmm. If
1: you look at fables and stories you're told when you're children, there's a right or wrong, goodies and baddies, and all of all of yeah. that yeah. sort of polarised. If you look at our political system, it's polarised. There's a desire for certainty mm-hmm. as well. Right? Yes. So a combination of certainty and options and limited mm-hmm. options. And I think the older I get, and I'm old now, <laughs> um, and the longer I live and the more I'm exposed to, the more I realise that there are so many ways of doing so many things. Mm-hmm. and those are all interesting and worth exploring and i might be rubbish i was going to use a swear word but no, can't. <laughs> yeah. and i might be rubbish at lots of them and i might not even be suited to some of them because i don't have that experience mm-hmm. but someone else might be and the world's better for all of those paths yeah right when you actually watch telly and you watch docos you know you watch stuff that's different from you you don't watch you watch when you're watching like I don't know, soaps, you want stuff that's like you. But when you watch documentaries and stuff, you want to see what's different. Yeah. So why then don't we want to bring that into our lives? I'm not sure. But I do think that that expansion of, of knowledge of who's out there and how they're different and what their background and being nosy and curious and taking that risk of being rude mm-hmm. in a really careful way, mm-hmm. really careful way, but that taking that risk of finding out where the differences are and being okay and excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's huge I watched a documentary last night on uh, black Scottish people okay. and it was the first time I've ever heard people uh, at an intersectional identity uh, talk in a way that I just thought was full of pride I thought it was right. the most beautiful pride pr- and I, it kind of made me want to go up to every single black person in Scotland and go I want to talk to you about this Yeah, <laughs> probably wouldn't do it like that yeah, no. but, um, but I, yeah so that would be my thing be brave yeah. and be brave and risk it because yeah. well, you'll be better for it.
2: I think um, understanding and sort of experiencing different cultures makes you more open to accepting them as well. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've lived in different places all over the world, and I think the more cultures you're exposed to, yeah. the more accepting you become.
3: Yeah. That's sort and of immersion,
1: I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: it's a powerful thing yeah. for all kinds of things.
3: Well.
1: And seeing that people are happy and thriving and mm-hmm. they're not doing it your way. Exactly. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> okay. And it, it's
0: it's the, And that's okay. That's such a powerful thing to, to mm-hmm. realise that it's okay for things mm. not to be your way. And it's
1: okay for you not to want to do it that way as yeah. well. And like, it's not like you can say, oh, maybe I should be doing it that way. It's yeah. just saying, hey, they're happy and they're doing it that way. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just Let accepting. it go. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. Um, we talked about neurodiversity uh, quite broadly and we talked about autism and Asperger's. Just quickly, have you got a view of a distinction, if any, between autism and Asperger's in terms of, of the labels?
2: Um, Asperger's is being phased out as mm-hmm. a label. Um, I think it's no longer... A term we should be using but mm-hmm. I think people who previously had a diagnosis of Asperger's are quite uh, they, they want to keep the term Right um, they, they Because it's a sense it, of their identity yeah, Exactly, yeah. they feel it's who they are because um, they've always known Asperger's I think it's still quite widely used even mm-hmm. though the medical professionals are no longer using it Mm-hmm. So and what a, would they? Sorry, I'm um, just being nosy. Yeah, yeah,
1: what would they would use autism spectrum and spectrum disorder? Yes, spe- okay. Yeah. Right. So
0: so ASD is yeah. a phrase that you hear yeah. quite yeah. a lot, which is autism spectrum D- yeah. disorder. Right, okay. And, so and, they would,
1: it's effectively more of a generalist term because there's lots of different aspects. Yes, of it. Yes, it
2: is a spectrum. So people um, can be in different parts and that spectrum. Can be. Um, very high functioning, or maybe have more difficulties. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like lots of different places in that spectrum. Yeah. So Asperger's tended to be quite high functioning, mm-hmm. um, but as I say, it's, it's a term that's no longer medically used. yeah,
0: okay. yeah. that's helpful. Excellent. Yeah, very, thank very you. Very good to know. Um, I remember, you know, a lot of this conversation is focused on the, the spectrum disorders and things like that, and we, we've talked about some other bits to do with sort of sensory uh, sensory type. Um, divergence as well, and and there are a range of those that are uh, are out there. One of the most powerful talks I went to a long time ago was actually to do with dyslexia. And there was a um, a guy who, (laughs) I always get his name wrong, Kenny Logan, who you'll know who's um, uh, married to Gabby Logan, the sports presenter. He was a former Scottish rugby international. And and when I talk about him, I quite often say Kenny Loggins, which gets me into all kinds of trouble. Um, because he's not a singer. Um, anyway, Kenny Logan was um, very dyslexic and he couldn't read um, well into his 30s and, and sort of the power of the, the stories around the isolation of that and he talked very eloquently about being in the sporting dressing room and they'd say, you know, the, the plan for the game's up there, just go and read through and then we'll come back and talk and, and the way that he needed to adapt his life because yeah. he couldn't read. And hide it. And, and hide they talk it. about
1: masking and hiding yeah. and conforming. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so he'd, he'd have, you know, friends and he'd say, oh, can you just tell me what it says? I've got to go and polish my shoes or whatever they do. And, and so the way that people adapt and mask and hide yeah. is such a, a powerful and in some ways quite a sad sad yeah. thing as well. It's, you know what, what do you think we can do to, to change that, the need to do that?
2: I think um, girls are better at masking the, the behaviours than, than boys, which is why um, there tends to be more males diagnosed with autism than females. Right,
0: okay, because it's like five to one or something, it's a yeah. huge... Yeah, well, four, four to one, five to, to one, two, one two, yeah, two,
2: yeah. Now, I don't believe that's the case, I just think girls are better at masking, right, and okay. they're better at sort of watching what, what other
1: people are doing and trying to sort of copy.
0: Yeah, learning the rules mm-hmm. of yeah, social I d- engagement. I do,
1: yeah, that's that phrase, so I do wonder, uh, and it's a long time since I was a girl, <laughs> but I do think there is an element of girls generally, certainly growing up in the UK, that have a very clear understanding of what is expected of them as a girl, young UK mm-hmm. girl and whether that just gets added on as one extra whole load of stuff they've yeah. got to absorb and therefore they learn to conform. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is I think really it- sad. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it makes it very stressful for them. I mean, it's like a swan. Mm-hmm. On the outside, somebody's speaking to them or, or looking at them, they wouldn't know they were yeah. different, but underneath they are paddling like mad to try and sort of keep up and understand, okay, I should be doing this. Yeah. Okay, they're doing that. What do I do now? And the, uh, yeah. they go home at the end of the night and they are absolutely exhausted of course. because they've had to work so much harder trying to conform than a
1: neurotypical
2: yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, and that's Make, exhausting.
1: Yeah, and it makes me realize how appropriate this episode is to fit within our wider series mm. because if you go back 30 40 years and listen to the accounts of gay people absolutely um masking, mm-hmm. hiding, mm-hmm. remembering how they have to behave, yeah. particularly um men uh who maybe exhibited traits that they felt were traditionally more feminine and they mm-hmm. would they would literally be looking at other men and going, How do I how what am I meant to do here? Mm-hmm. Oh I'm meant to, you know, who look at her chest area, or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it because they're not wired like that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. For whatever wherever it comes from, and however it is, and whatever it's culturally Im- influenced by, there's there's this constant exhaustion yeah. mm-hmm. of how should I behave, mm-hmm. yeah. and the the shame of being different yes. is is living in there, and I just. I, I can't imagine how hard that is for anyone who's
0: different. Yeah. It's like a, a sort of not a significant example. My grandfather was left-handed mm-hmm. um, and he taught himself to be right-handed. Like he grew up oh, left-handed. Oh, wasn't there a thing because... about
1: super, superpowers or oh, witchness or something? I, I'm not
0: sure. I mean, it, it was sinister is, is what left-handedness is. But, but he actually spent time and taught himself and he wouldn't use his left hand because he felt judged for being left-handed. And that was a long time ago. But yeah. still that, that urge to conform, I think... It's difficult for people. But
1: how, how much are you losing as a person? Of course, yeah. By having to constantly, I mean, effectively police yourself. Mm. And yeah. that's, yeah, that's pretty sad.
0: Okay, well, I think it's getting to be time to wrap up the conversation. I think it's been really interesting. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, I just had uh, one, I guess, one more question for you. And it, it's to do with the fact that we often talk about role models and different strands of diversity and the importance of role models and you know visible figures with... Um, you know, with characteristics of a different trait that we look at. Have you got any thoughts on any role models in the uh, sort of autism space or or neurodiverse space? Definitely.
2: There's so many amazing people who have a diagnosis of Asperger's or autism. And then a lot of them are well-known names. And people like Dan Aykroyd, um, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, even Mozart. Uh, The one that I think is a great current role model is Greta Thunberg. I mean, the climate climate change
0: activist. I mean, she's just amazing. Well, it's fantastic. And that goes back to the quote that you mentioned earlier, but I can't quite remember about, you know, maybe neurodiversity is about saving um, humanity as a species. Oh,
1: wouldn't that be ironic?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm going to say
2: say Um, this again. Neurodiversity may be every bit as crucial for the human race as biodiversity is for life in general. There you go. <laughs> there we
0: go. Yeah, no, that's great. That's really a great way to round up that, that piece around role models. And it's great that we've got visible people with autism spectrum disorders in prominent places. And she's, ex- I
1: mean, there's, I know there's a number of them because we were talking about Chris Packham, who's a BBC mm. presenter as well, weren't we, earlier. Um, and I think the thing I really like about Greta is she is so, she wears it so coherently and articulately and so confidently that it is right that the world should make space on her terms yeah and just like it is right that anyone else should feel included on their terms and i think i think that's i feel like that's a different note that's coming in from that generation yeah um much more bravely and much more strongly which mm-hmm. is is good it's i think assure, it's, it's, it's important it's ins- it's exactly what it is it's assured um and it's lovely but yeah, I mean, that's what I really one of like the key that.
2: strengths of autistic people is they have definite key interests and obviously Greta's interest is climate change so she is so knowledgeable about it because that's what she does
0: yeah yeah that's fantastic yeah all right well um as I said it's been a great conversation it's been an absolute pleasure um my guess is that some of the listeners would probably like to find out more about um you know neurodiversity and and the work that autocon do is there any way they could get in touch with you to to learn more about what you do yes
2: most definitely I mean I'm happy for people to email me directly so that's emma.walker okay. at autocon.co.uk or if we have anybody who has a diagnosis of autism who would like to apply to join us um the email is scotland.careers at autocon.co.uk so e- either email um, email's fine love to hear right. from you
0: all right well yeah that's great well, well we'll shout out um as well when we top and tail because uh, i'm sure a lot of people will be interested in getting in touch all right well it's just uh time for us to say thank you and goodbye so a huge thanks that was a fantastic conversation really enjoyed it
1: yeah really appreciate your time emma and i feel like i've both learned something and now feel a bit more positive about the world and that people are doing some really good stuff
2: excellent thank you for having me
0: Okay, so welcome back. That was our conversation with uh, Emma from Oticon. I thought that was excellent. I
1: well, mean, aside from my slight fangirling over both Emma and her organisation, I thought it was a really good chat.
0: Yeah, really good. And, and I'm really pleased to be bringing something a little bit different, or at least in my mind, a little bit different to this, this series on inclusion and diversity, because I think neurodiversity is something that's growing in recognition in and wider world. But I still think it's something that maybe doesn't get considered as frequently or as prominently as some of the other aspects of diversity. So I'm really pleased to touch on it.
1: Yeah, I think um, for me, whilst I absolutely agree with that, the thing that makes it sort of added bonus is of all of the different types of uh, characteristics that people are looking to be better at including, Mm -hmm. it's probably the one where I find it easiest to think about how that could also be done with other people who maybe aren't traditionally included Mm -hmm. or what lessons we can take from it. I've never felt quite so clear uh, on the lessons that could be taken Okay. For inclusion more generally.
0: Yeah. So in terms of your your main takeaways, what are your main takeaways? So mine
1: is really specifically um, about this idea that comes out from the conversation with Emma about how the whole team benefits when you do that. And I think I just, when I look back where places have been more inclusive of the people in them, um, everyone benefits or nearly, you know, pretty much everyone benefits And I just I think that's good. I think so, for example, I think, you know, it it absolutely applies to mums and being more flexible at work quite often also benefits people who have care responsibilities or who just have a dog or who. And I think, you know, it's that thing of by pushing down boundaries and by expanding the way that we care for our employees and work around what their needs are, the more likely we are to be able to work around everyone's needs and everyone will get a bit more of what they need. So what about you?
0: Well, I, I think the stuff you touched on there is really good. Um, one of the bits that really stuck out to me, though, was the conversation that Emma talks about, about speaking to people who've taken on a person with autism spectrum, uh, spectrum disorder and, and what that journey's like. And, and I really liked the fact that she said, you know, people worry about it up front. But six months down the line, they look back and they kind of ask themselves, what's all the fuss about? What was I worried about doing this? And I think that that's a really good encapsulation of a journey that people go through as they're learning to some extent about diversity and how to include and and all the fears that people face up front about themselves and their own ability to create good spaces and to take on people. And then how in retrospect, these things just seem like. You know, little minor things that aren't worth it. It is so
1: epically believable as well. I can absolutely imagine someone going, Well, I don't know what the fuss was. I never made a fuss in your life. Yeah, exactly. Really? Really? Can you remember? But it's lovely. That's a lovely thing to come from it.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really, really great. I love
1: how passionate she is about her job. Yeah, it's a really great, it seems like
0: a great role and opportunity to help business and help people at the same time. And that's a really great combination. Yeah loved it um, I guess last thing just to call out I, I know that she mentions it a bit but, but it's good if we call it out as well if you want to get in touch um, she's, uh, she's up for speaking to people um, about this type of subject her, her uh, best contact address is scotland.careers at uk, and that's A-U-T-I-C-O-N um, and you can learn more about Auticon at their website again if you just google Auticon or use any search engine you like to just look at Auticon, you'll be able to find out more about them um, and hopefully you do, because they, they seem like a really excellent organisation.
1: Yeah, we're not normally this biased. Right? No. <laughs> so no i no. like, yeah, go, speak Yeah, to do <laughs> it, do it. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah,
0: loved it. All right, well, I guess it's just time for us to say goodbye then. And we're going to check out and uh, check back in with you in a week or so. Bye, people. Bye, everyone. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.